0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: When I was doing my portion of the literature review, I was looking mainly into um, producer and consumer willingness to accept genome editing into their diets or their production aspects on their operation.
0: Listeners, Tanner and Jennifer here on Ag News Daily today, June 21st, 2023. Going to be good to get Jennifer back into the swing of things going to start off here though first with some weather and uh, crop progress reporting updates. So we've still got severe thunderstorm warnings and watches that have been issued for much of central Kansas. Flood watches are issued for most of the northwestern counties in that state, hail the size of ping pong balls and winds gusting to 60 miles per hour are expected as storms move through the region. Uh, Excessive runoff may cause flooding in rivers, creeks and streams may come out of their banks. And we're still battling some air quality concerns in Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan, as the wildfires continue to burn in Canada. But as we get our reports, kind of like Delaney mentioned last week, And crop progress for corn shows that 96% of corn has emerged as of Sunday. That's up three percentage points from the previous week and still two percentage points above the five-year average. Condition nationally was rated 55% good to excellent. That was down six percentage points from 61% the previous week. Uh, We've got a couple of updates that go state by state, and as we look at Iowa, as the largest loser as far as percentage points, dropped from 70 percent down to 59. Illinois dropped 8 percent. Nebraska and Minnesota as well also lowered their crop conditions reporting. Soybean, 92 percent of soybeans were emerged as of Sunday. That's 11 percentage points ahead of both last year and the five-year average. Soybeans were rated 54% good to excellent as of Sunday. That's about five percentage points lower than last week's 59 and 14 points below last year at this time. So there's your update on crop progress. What do you got for your first news story, Jennifer?
1: Absolutely. Jumping into my first story of the day, it is on a court case happening in Montana. A lawyer for 16 young people on Tuesday asked a Montana judge for a historic order declaring the state's pro-fossil fuel policies that violate their rights, wrapping up arguments in the first youth-led U.S. climate change lawsuit to make it to trial. Judge Kathy Seeley and Helena took the case under consideration on Tuesday after hearing from 12 of the plaintiffs during the course of the trial, who had described how the state's policies are exacerbating exacerbating the climate crisis impacting their health and threatening their futures as it says nate bellinger an attorney for the young people said during his closing statement on tuesday that Sealy should issue a judgment that the state's ongoing approval of fossil fuel projects violate a state constitutional guarantee to a clean and healthful environment the trial began on june 12th three years after the youth plaintiffs had asked. Now the the youth are between the ages of five and 22, it says. They had filed their lawsuit three years ago and it is now one of several youth-led constitutional climate cases pending in courts across the US. However, a Montana Assistant Attorney General, Michael Russell, countered that the courts are no place to set climate policy. And that the plaintiffs hadn't approved that Montana's relatively small emissions can be blamed for a global crisis. So this will be interesting to see how it all pans out as it moves forward. But I just thought that was interesting, especially coming from a youth youth picture of it all.
0: Yeah, that is an interesting twist. And it sounds... Like our Western states are continuing to see maybe some strange cases. We're now looking at Wyoming, looking to build a growing power line to get power to California as their wind power continues to grow. Wind turbines stand along the Montana-Wyoming state line. As of June 13th, 2022, officials have decided starting June 20th, just yesterday, that they will start construction on a massive transmission line project that will export wind power from Wyoming to Southern California. Despite the extensive wildlife studies, design tweaks, and lengthy federal environmental reviews, the projects are now able to begin building that transmission line. Uh, area photographer, though, is looking to push back as she wants to help preserve the scenic spots throughout the southeastern Wyoming granite mountains and sprawling sagebush valleys she worries that continuing to add more wind energy and turbines will not be great for her state she uses a comparison to dandelions jennifer dandelions in my yard you know if there's three or four or five it's okay but when my whole yard is dandelions i'm not very excited The state, known for its hunting, fishing, and camping and gorgeous natural views, uh, may get to see more power transmission lines and wind towers here in the future. So we'll continue to watch this. But obviously, this is part of California's carbon neutral goal as far as getting their power from uh, Mother Nature as far as wind energy goes, and Wyoming is looking to be the state that could provide that. Several public hearings have happened. Of course, we know just as uh, within the state of Iowa with our carbon pipeline initiative that there is a lot of focus around this and two very op- opposing sides, but officially construction can start yesterday on the transmission line from Wyoming to California.
1: Well, that is some interesting news and staying on track with the carbon capture side of it all. We're going to move into the Midwest as an Illinois ethanol plant is exploring a new way to capture and repurpose carbon. Bill Howell, a general manager for Adkins Energy in Lena, Illinois, tells Brownfield that they have partnered with CAP CO2 Solutions on a pilot project to collect CO2 from the plant and turn it into a renewable fuel called green methanol. The products coming off will be hydrogen gas and oxygen. And then they will take the waste CO2 coming off the firms, combining those two and making a clean methanol it says. And then that methanol can go into ships, aviation fuel and other chemicals as well. He demands for green methanol as it is growing as the shipping and aviation industries turn to cleaner fuel sources. Howell says this is different than CO2 pipeline proposals because it will convert the CO2 into a new product and take place on site. He says they're not requiring any land or right of ways for a pipeline. They're simply using land they already have and relocating the methanol process in with the ethanol plants. He says that this should help lower the carbon intensity score while turning two raw materials into a low carbon fuel. Howell also says it should provide an incentive to increase capacity, which broadens the market for corn farmers. Finally, he says that they will complete an economic study before starting the pilot project within the next nine to 12 months. So that is going to be Another great alternative to keep on forward with this whole CO2 pipeline issue in everybody's front for other minds.
0: Yeah, that's uh, interesting how our stories continue just to lead white into the next one. Mexico has reached an agreement with food manufacturers to use only non-GMO corn in tortilla production across the country. The government says it plans to implement new import tariffs on white corn imports. Uh, President announced the decision yesterday emphasizing the importance of preserving the nation's traditional food practices. The GMO decree follows the original declaration in 2020 that we've reported on that would phase out imports of biotechnology products, including GMO corn, by 2025 after being approached by the U.S. in January. About this trade issue, Mexico replied with a new decree, which proposed the ban to be put in immediate effect as opposed to the initial 2025 proposal. Mexico is continuing to work to become self-sufficient in white corn production, which means the ban really doesn't qualify as a trade barrier. On the other hand, the U.S. and Canada argue that this policy contradicts the commitment that Mexico has made according to the USMCA in regards to decisions on biotechnology. So multiple discussions will continue to follow but certainly not another great headline as far as the progress Mexico is making as part of that trade agreement.
1: And now I'm going to switch it up a little bit and we're going to look at our rural broadband access as U.S. Representative Zach Nunn introduced earlier this week bipartisan legislation to improve access to high-quality, affordable broadband in rural communities. The Reconnecting Rural America Act, co-sponsored by U.S. Representatives Angie Craig, Darren LaHood, and Eric Sorensen, makes improvements to the U.S. Department of Agriculture Reconnect Program, which offers loans, grants, and loan-grant combinations facilitating broadband deployment in areas of rural America that currently do not have sufficient access to broadband. Representative Nunn said during my Farm Bill listening tour, improving broadband access is one of the top priorities he had heard about. Access to high-quality, affordable internet is critical for telehealth services, education, precision agriculture, and quality of life in rural America, he continues This bipartisan bill will ensure faster, more reliable speeds for rural communities with most critical needs. Iowa ranks 45th on the broadband access in the United States with the second lowest speeds on average. Approximately one third of the state is in a rural broadband desert and nationally 22% of Americans lack access to fixed terrestrial 25 over three megabits broadband the federal communication commission's minimum standard for broadband speed many americans in particular in rural areas lack access to higher speed 100 over 100 megabits service required to telecommunicate access telemedicine or participate in remote schooling as you continue on in the story it continues with more representatives voicing their support for this bill so as it finishes out, it says it will be hopefully part of the farm bill coming out this year. So that will be interesting to follow up on Tanner.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it really boils down to the basics. Like you said, the service of being able to gain access to telehealth and and uh, doctors online, the services there is the most important feature. So I'm gonna finish out before markets here with some Russia-Ukraine updates. And then another uh, very little progress, it sounds like, on our missing sub. Kiev's troops uh, conducted an offensive operation in the direction of two Russian-held cities south of the capital. They leveled front lines and made progress on Wednesday morning. Further east, there was one person, unfortunately, killed during their shelling of the Russian-occupied Donetsk city. The Kremlin says it countered a drone measure that was successfully thwarted from Ukrainian unmanned aerial vehicle that attacked near a military base outside of Moscow. World leaders are continuing to pledge support for Ukraine, and the United States has announced it will send an additional $1.3 billion in financial assistance to overhaul Kiev's energy grid and modernize its key infrastructure. We're still following the submarine that was on a mission to visit the Titanic. It states here that there were possible banging sounds in 30-minute intervals heard during the search for the missing Titan submersible. So we'll continue to watch there as the Department of Homeland Security does not share if and when those sounds were related directly to this adventure. But time seems to be running out as far as stashed air on the device. But Jennifer, we saw some fireworks in the overnight. We have double-digit increases for both corn and soybeans. The December corn contract was up 16 and a quarter. Will open this morning at 6:13:60. The November soybeans were up 14 even and will open this morning at 13.56 and a half. Wheat also saw a double digit gap higher. December wheat contract up 13 and a half in the overnight to open at 7.37.60. When we look at the livestock markets, we saw a substantial red in the cattle complex. The live cattle contract for August was down 202 to open today at 169.70 feeder cattle is down 275 for the september contract will open 235.62 lean hogs gapped higher green up three dollars for the july contract to 95.85 august contract up 250 to 93.20 so that is where we sit for markets today jennifer now it's time to have a fun conversation that you know just a little bit about
1: Absolutely. Today we're going to share with you all a conversation that Delaney Tanner and I had about my recent trip to Europe.
2: Well, folks, for the last month plus, I've had the honors of editing the podcast. So if there's been any issues, it's my fault. But we're very glad to have our summer intern back with us after a recent study abroad trip to Europe. Jennifer, super excited to hear more about your trip. And I'm sure that our listeners are too. But in case any of our listeners haven't heard the episode where we introduced you as our summer intern, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm Jennifer Holliday. I'm currently a junior. Well, I guess I'll be going into my junior year here at Iowa State University. I'm triple majoring in agriculture studies, journalism, and international agriculture. And on top of that, uh, with international agriculture, I absolutely love visiting different countries and studying in foreign places. I have traveled to Uruguay this past fall and This spring, I had the opportunity to go to Italy for a month to study.
0: Wow. So that was an entire month. So was it just Italy or were you able to explore more of the region?
1: Yes. So I traveled to Greece for a few days before with some friends, just to have a little bit of a vacation time at the end of finals week, you know, a little bit of stress and get out there to relax some more and experience some new culture before we headed to Italy. And specifically in Italy, we were in Rome for the full month, except for one weekend where we went to the Tuscan region. Uh, in the Tuscan region, we were able to actually visit farms and were welcomed into a lot of different families' homes where they cooked, like, very, very true to the culture meals for us all. It was three-hour meals when we were in Tuscany and three-hour meals when we were in Rome, but most of our time was spent in the Rome area.
2: Yeah, the food is definitely a big draw when you go somewhere like Italy, Uh, so maybe more to come on that, but Jennifer, you mentioned that you The study abroad was in joint collaboration between Iowa State University and the United Nations FAO. Talk to us a little bit about the goal of your study abroad, because I remember when I was in college, a lot of times people were just going on a study abroad to get away, to travel, to have kind of a semester off. But that's certainly not the case for you and your uh, fellow students.
1: Uh, No, definitely not. I can agree with you there for this. Um, So with this one, as you mentioned, we were partnered with the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. And the goal of our partnership is to conduct research on a topic that our professors and the faculty at FAO assigned to us. So this program has been going on for about 16 years or so now, I believe, minus a couple due to COVID. But this was the second year it has been able to happen since COVID um, was occurring. And this year, our group, well, the group that I was in specifically, was assigned genome editing in livestock and the future of it and how it can affect low and middle income countries. So we weren't specifically researching The science side of it. We were looking more so at the economics and policy and just a little bit of how it could potentially be applied to consumers and producers in low and middle income countries.
0: Wow, that's a pretty intense topic. So how did you go about trying to learn more about it?
1: With our research, it was a little bit different than what all of us students thought it was going to be. It was mainly literature reviews on in-depth articles that had been written by Uh, true researchers in the past that have conducted studies on countries, many countries, or specifically on animals as well, and then we also had many opportunities to interact with professors around the European Union. There was one professor uh, from Germany that we did an interview with who was specifically knowledgeable on genome editing in poultry um not that that has been applied anywhere but that was the main research that he had conducted his phd on and there was a philosopher professor that we had met up with to interview as well because her philosophy was around ethics and morals of um genetically modified organisms and genome editing so we were kind of able to take those two and apply them together because As we had to explain within our research, genetically modified organisms and genome editing are very different from each other, even though they're often grouped to be the same thing.
2: So Jennifer, as part of that literature review, did you guys find anything new or interesting that you can share with our listeners?
1: When I was doing my portion of the literature review, I was looking mainly into Um, producer and consumer willingness to accept genome editing into their diets or their production aspects on their operation. And within my research, I was able to find that within low and middle income countries, although you would think that based off of the income that families have there, you would want to accept the cheapest option to be able to bring in the most money to your household as you can but that isn't necessarily the case. Many families there are still worried about what us in upper middle income and high income countries consider around food safety for humans, the environment and economics in general. But there it applies the exact same. And um, that was a big shocker for all of us when we discovered that because everyone was just thinking that we would want to find the cheapest way to apply it for them. But Now it's coming down to providing education on the topic for everybody worldwide, no matter their income, because there's so much stigma around genome editing.
0: So as you spent your time over there just making observations in and around Rome, what other agriculture did you notice in the region?
1: Agriculture in Rome was very sparse to come across as it's a very urbanized city, which is very ironic to say since it is a incredibly ancient city as well but when we went to the Tuscan region we were able to tour a olive tree farm and so within this region the olive trees were made were produced for olive oil not for olive consumption which was a big shocker to me because I didn't personally realize there was a difference between the two But we were able to learn about the different production aspects that the new owner was taking upon. It's a family farm and this owner is probably about 30 years old, I believe he said. And so he had just came back to inherit the farm and he was changing the way that he was shaping the trees so that sunlight could reach in the middle as well because he started to shape them more as an upside down cone, or I guess I should just say a triangle, rather than all around circle so that the olives in the middle of the tree had an opportunity to form and not be wasted as well. We also visited a more animal production farm. He had cattle and goats as well as dairy animals and then he also had bees and some sparse fruit and horticulture production on the side as well but everything that we discovered in um, the Italian country is organic because everyone is so close together that if one country or if one farm wants to be organic the farm right next to them has to as well or else everything will drift into each other
2: Yeah, and as we know that uh, the EU has a lot more regulations and stipulations than what we have here in the United States when it comes to use of chemicals, pesticides, etc. So interesting note there, Jennifer. My biggest question, of course, I'm a big foodie for those of our listeners that didn't know it is what is the best food that you had while you were there?
1: Oh, that is a great question. I could list off so many. I think we had gelato every day and we tried probably 15 different gelato shops. But when it comes to food specifically, you know, that isn't a dessert, I would say that I had pork cheek carbonara. And it was absolutely amazing. The carbonara noodles were thick and homemade, and just you could tell how fresh they were. But then pork cheek was specifically a cut of meat that not many of us in our group had had before because it's not something that we commonly find in the grocery store here, but it tasted almost not exactly, but very similar to bacon, but it was very salty. And one of our professors on the trip, he's actually a meat scientist. So he was able to kind of walk us through the process of how it's cured to be able to reach the level of salty and chewiness of it. So it was really the specific, the pork cheek meat that made the dish as a whole is what we all decided.
2: Dana, I don't know about you, but I'm uh, drooling a little bit just listening to the description of that.
0: Well, I am too, because one of my favorite uh, food trucks here in Ames, Rico's Tacos, has pork cheek cheek tacos that I thoroughly enjoy. But before we wrap up, if we've got listeners that are planning to head to Italy themselves, what's something that they should check out and not miss when they make their trip?
1: Mm, When you head to Italy, make sure when you are in Rome, stop by Piazza Novana. Piazza Novana is home to three different fountains, but it has my favorite fountain right in the middle of it. It's called the Fountain of the Four Rivers. And there's so much history I could dive into about it. It's four main rivers of the world and where they meet. And I could go so in-depth into it, but I'm a little bit of a history nerd when it comes to that fountain now. But I definitely suggest checking out Piazza Novana.
2: Well, Jennifer, we're excited to have you back, but thanks for sharing just a little glimpse into the recent trip to Italy that you just had.
0: Well, I know once the mics were turned off, there. Jennifer that uh, I am I mentioned I'm a homebody I don't mind traveling but it's always fun to learn about the experiences through others that do travel more often so appreciate you sharing that with us
1: absolutely I'll make sure to do just a little bit more traveling in my free time so I have more to share with you
0: (laughs) hey that's great listeners thanks for hanging out with us today you can always find us on social media but Jennifer for today what do you say should listeners go
1: let's let them go